welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone tonight, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all your brothers and sisters in spirit. And understand y'all, we are that, by the almighty power of, and our divine connection to, the one living God that dwells within you, and you, and you. Me too. Almighty I am presence. So amidst all the chaos, hatred, and injustice that seems to rule this world, amidst the constant replay of bloodshed and discord, amidst the straight lack of love that there is between one and the other, know that there will come a day that we all must face when our divine brotherhood and sisterhood will be proven. And I pray that that day be a peaceful one for all the children of the living God that recognized and honored their divine connection. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God, who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat? Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. 
While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man, who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles God has granted repentance that leads to life. Acts 10 and Acts 11 1-4, 18 Thank you.
Crisis Unveiled, Volume 2, Chapter 3. We must once more turn to that greatest of all the patristic frauds, the one which has undeniably helped the Roman Catholic Church to its unmerited supremacy, viz., the barefaced assertion, in the teeth of historical evidence, that Peter suffered martyrdom at Rome. It is but too natural that the Latin clergy should cling to it, for, with the exposure of the fraudulent nature of this pretext, the dogma of apostolic succession must fall to the ground. There have been many able works of late, in refutation of this preposterous claim. Among others we note Mr. G. Raber's, The Christ of Paul, which overthrows it quite ingeniously. The author proves, 1, that there was no church established at Rome, until the reign of Antoninus Pius, 2, that as Eusebius and Irenaeus both agree that Linus was the second bishop of Rome, into whose hands the blessed apostles Peter and Paul committed the church after building it, it could not have been at any other time than between AD 64 and 68, 3, that this interval of years happens during the reign of Nero, for Eusebius states that Linus held this office 12 years, Ecclesiastical History, Book 3, Chapter 13, entering upon it AD 69, one year after the death of Nero, and dying himself in 81. After that, the author maintains, on very solid grounds, that Peter could not be in Rome AD 64, for he was then in Babylon, wherefrom he wrote his first epistle, the date of which is fixed by Dr. Lardner and other critics precisely this year. But we believe that his best argument is in proving that it was not in the character of the cowardly Peter to risk himself in such close neighborhood with Nero, who was feeding the wild beasts of the amphitheater with the flesh and bones of Christians at that time. Perhaps the Church of Rome was but consistent in choosing as her titular founder the apostle who thrice denied his master at the moment of danger, and the only one, moreover, except Judas, who provoked Christ in such a way as to be addressed as the enemy. Get thee behind me, Satan, exclaims Jesus, rebuking the taunting apostle. H.P. Blavatsky There is a tradition in the Greek church which has never found favor at the Vatican. The former traces its origin to one of the Gnostic leaders, Basilides, perhaps, who lived under Trajan and Adrian, at the end of the first and the beginning of the second century. With regard to this particular tradition, if the Gnostic is Basilides, then he must be accepted as a sufficient authority, having claimed to have been a disciple of the Apostle Matthew, and to have had for Master Glaucaius, a disciple of St. Peter himself. Were the narratives attributed to him authenticated, the London Committee for the Revision of the Bible would have to add a new verse to Matthew, Mark and John, who tell the story of Peter's denial of Christ. This tradition, then, of which we have been speaking, affirms that, when frightened at the accusation of the servant of the high priest, the apostle had thrice denied his master, and the cock had crowed, Jesus, who was then passing, through the hall in custody of the soldiers, turned, and, looking at Peter, said, Verily, I say unto thee, Peter, thou shalt deny me throughout the coming ages, and never stop until thou shalt be old, and shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. The latter part of this sentence, say the Greeks, relates to the Church of Rome and prophesies her constant apostasy from Christ, under the mask of false religion. Later, it was inserted in the 21st chapter of John, but the whole of this chapter had been pronounced a forgery, even before it was found that this gospel was never written by John the Apostle at all. The anonymous author of Supernatural Religion, 
a work which in two years passed through several editions, and which is alleged to have been written by an eminent theologian, proves conclusively the spuriousness of the four Gospels, or at least their complete transformation in the hands of the two zealous Irenaeus and his champions. The fourth Gospel is completely upset by this able author, the extraordinary forgeries of the fathers of the early centuries are plainly demonstrated, and the relative value of the synoptics is discussed with an unprecedented power of logic. The work carries conviction in its every line. From it we quote the following. We gain infinitely more than we lose in abandoning belief in the reality of divine revelation. Whilst we retain, pure and unimpaired, the treasure of Christian morality, we relinquish nothing, but the debasing elements added to it by human superstition. We are no longer bound to believe a theology which outrages reason and moral sense. We are freed from base anthropomorphic views of God and His government of the universe, and from Jewish mythology we rise to higher conceptions of an infinitely wise and beneficent being, hidden from our finite minds, it is true, in the impenetrable glory of divinity, but whose laws of wondrous comprehensiveness and perfection we ever perceive in operation around us. The argument so often employed by theologians, that divine revelation is necessary for man, and that certain views contained in that revelation are required for our moral consciousness, is purely imaginary, and derived from the revelation which it seeks to maintain. The only thing absolutely necessary for man is truth, and to that, and that alone, must our moral consciousness adapt itself. H.P. Blavatsky The more you call the legions of the sacred fire to flood that love to the world that sets it free, the more you will automatically abide within that sacred fire and dwell in that freedom also. Mankind goes on struggling in these frightful conditions when, my loved ones, if they would but turn to the mighty I am presence and call on the law of forgiveness for all that is wrong, and then call the sacred fire into those conditions to produce what is right, uncountable legions of the angelic host and the ascended host could come to the assistance of the whole civilization and could change things in a short time. And mankind would wonder how they could have gotten into such chaos. Now if you want to settle the chaos, so at least where you live, it is held at peace, I certainly would call forth the legions of the angels of the sacred fire to pour their love that compels peace in your world and around you wherever you abide. Then you take your world wherever you go, and you become the peace-commanding presence, not only of your own mighty I am, but by the love of the angelic host. And when that becomes more expanded within the physical octave, mankind will have peace. But someone must make the call for these beings to come and abide with you and hold a flame of their love and peace in control of conditions around you. And I assure you, it is a very practical thing to do at this present time. If I were you, I would not forget to do it. Applause. Thank you so much. So the angels of the sacred fire, my dear ones, are the angels of protection, because it is that enfolding flame of their love that is your protection, because that stands between you and the disturbance many times in the atmosphere in which you move. So when these great beings are waiting every opening possible through which to pour forth the sacred fire the world requires, then if you choose to make them your daily associates, and understand that they are your friends of the sacred fire, you may have assistance without limit. You may have protection invincible, and you may have powers to use to accomplish your victory that only the angelic host can bring or use around you, until you become one of their number through your ascension. 
And I assure you, if you are continuously aware of their presence, they will give you every assistance to your ascension. And it will be as comfortable as possible because their love in the sacred fire automatically produces that greater peace and ease of attainment. You may just as well live in the ease of that attainment, before the final victory, as to go on in the struggle until the final moment arrives. Beloved Archangel Michael, So these, may I say, friends of mine, my family of the angelic host, are ever ready to assist you, beloved ones, that your accomplishment from day to day may bring you only victory. And in each new effort you make, you call them into action, first of all to hold protection about your every effort that is constructive. You will soon move out of the strain and the struggle and the problems in which you have been enmeshed. So this will help your health. It will bring you supply. It will hold you protected. It will give you every assistance to the accomplishment of everything that lifts your fellow men and life everywhere, into the fullness of that peace and love of the sacred fire that is the power to give all the ascension. So if you choose to call for the angels of the sacred fire whose love will always make you victorious, so long as you love your presence first and command its victory to come into action, your help can be without limit, and your victory will forever expand. So I clothe you tonight in my love that will help to draw these blessed beings nearer to you, that you may feel their presence more frequently. And in that feeling will they be able to release the greater power for you to hold command. May they come without limit, and give you every blessing that takes you forward to victory, to freedom, and to the fullness of your ascension in the joy that is the great divine plan's desire for you. May the fullness of all the blessings the angelic hosts can give flood forth to you tonight and may you make them your daily companions and feel that your friends have come to assist you to freedom. Thank you, with all my heart. Beloved Archangel Michael, 